space that I think most companies will understand that the omni-channel journey isn't just a digital journey. Um, it is really the organization holding hands and working together to make sure that there's a cohesive um, from the thought appearing in their mind at the consumer all the way to when they want to repurchase again. Hey everyone, this is Nazar Akil from Max Pro. Hi, I'm Linda. And I'm Paul. And we're Love and Pebbles. Hi, this is Lopa Vandermersch from Rasa. Oh, you're listening. And you're listening. And you are listening to, to the Ecom Show. Welcome to the Ecom Show, presented by Blue Tusker. The number one place to hear the inside scoop from other e-commerce experts, where they share their secrets on how they scaled their business and are now living the dream. Now, here is your host, Andrew Math. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Ecom Show. I'm your host, Andrew Math, and today I'm joined by the amazing Amanda Patton, who is the senior director of Omnichannel over at Charbroil. Amanda, how are you doing? You ready for a good show? I am. I'm excited to to share thoughts and um, uh, where our company is taking the omni-channel journey and, you know, just hear feedback too. Beautiful. I am very excited for this episode. I'm a big omni-channel fan and it's very rare I ever get to talk to someone who understands that same concept. Plus, we're changing it up today. I actually appreciate keeping keeping this just audio because I am getting Zoom fatigue, which I think should be something therapists should be aware of. But I digress. Uh, so what I'd like to do is the stereotypical thing and give you a minute here to tell us a little bit more about yourself, about what you do over at Charbroil, and we'll take it from there. Sure. So I am actually newer to the space. I'm a pretty traditional brand marketer. Um, started my career off at Philip Morris um, in the sales arena and then progressed after my MBA into more of a brand space. So very traditional uh, CPG background. As I became closer and closer to the business in different industries, I saw a thread coming through, which was the sort of omni-channel and that multi-channel experience really kind of pushing its way to the forefront. So while I, at my heart, believe brand is super important, I also believe having the met the message in multiple places um, where people are receptive to re, uh, receiving it is important. So about a year and a half ago, I transitioned fully from um, brand marketing into the omni-channel space with Charbroil. Um, I spoke with our EVP, Tom Penner, and he had an amazing opportunity for me to come to Charbroil and start up the omni-channel team. Um, the way we're structured at Charbroil is there is a D2C business and they operate just like a customer team. So everything from um, our dot com to the consumer service side. Uh, then on the uh, sort of the, the counterpart, there is an e-commerce side where they handle all of our major customers and they really build our, our go-to-market strategy with established retailers, both brick and mortar and with um, pure play and marketplace. Um, and then sandwiched in the middle is sort of our commercialization of how do we make strategic decisions between our brick and mortar and between our um, our digital channels and where do we put the right uh, products so that we're we're hitting the needs of consumers where they're looking. 
Um, so that's sort of like the in-between, uh, making sure that we're connecting um, needs with who's shopping. Uh, so I've been in the role for about a year and a half. We've learned a lot. We've done a lot of research. Um, and I think that we're evolving into a space that I think most companies will understand that the omni-channel journey isn't just a digital journey. Um, it is really the organization holding hands and working together to make sure that there's a cohesive um, from the thought appearing in their mind at the consumer all the way to when they want to repurchase again. Beautiful. Um, so when let let's pretend that no one knows what omni-channel is. And the reason I'm going to ask you to define it yourself is simply because I feel that every time I ask someone that I get a different answer. So I'm curious as to how you and obviously how Charboil defines what omni-channel marketing is. Yeah, I think it's, um, I would define it as anywhere that you can be influenced, um, to decide to purchase a product. Um, so whether that's social channels, whether that's um, TV, whether that's in-store, whether that's um, influencer or wor word of mouth, these are all different channels that are connecting with the consumer. So while the purists would say that trade channels was the definition of omni-channels and you have to be, you know, presenting yourself the same way in each, um, I say that it's expand, uh, It's kind of expanded and there's a spectrum of places where people are influenced. So I guess I'm less of a purist in that way is that <laughs> you can be influenced so many different places and you should be thinking about how you connect at each of those points. Yeah, definitely makes sense. And then obviously at a company like Charboil, it's clearly not small. You've got retail, you've got your own website, you've got all the different marketplaces you're on. As you mentioned, you've got TV, you've got social, like you're all over the place. So how do you kind of, how do you basically facilitate all of those different channels to make sure that, you know, the user experience is the same or the brand is cohesive across the board? Like what, what is that whole approach like? Yeah. And so I think that, I think it's evolving, right? So previously people used the the traditional marketing 360 as being an omni-channel experience. I actually think there's a lot more organic ways to Im influence and the way people are getting their information is no longer controlled by us. So we really think of it because we're durable goods as a journey um, over that we've got about anywhere between a, a two and four week period on average to influence that purchase. And especially since we're a seasonal good, um, you know, we have, we have a very quick window. So the way we've really boiled it down in our omni-channel journey or our, our consumer journey is really putting a lot of effort up front when you identify the need all the way to when you are getting ready to make the purchase. Um, so we segment it into three categories. So first is that traditional funnel approach with your inspiration, or if you would call it a path to purchase. The second phase of our consumer journey is about really about the post-purchase, everything from when they click the button um, to purchase your product, they've made the decision, but um, you know they haven't quite received it. So how do they then receive your product? How do they get the support that they need? Um, how do they then become successful? So we think of it almost as click to cook, right? You click it and purchase <laughs> it. And how do we make it so that that is a goof-proof, foolproof experience of success? And then our final um, 
real exploratory phase is what we call like the loyalty loop is that as we as an organization, our durable goods are only going to buy our products once every three years. So how do we keep them engaged with us? That's through content. That's through our consumables. That is through making sure that they have that personalized journey for success um, with our products. So we're doing a lot of work there trying to see how we keep that loop going because a big purchase you're going to do your research. So we've already won them over once they make that decision to purchase. How do we keep them coming back? Um, and so we've broken it down into those three phases. Um, right now, we're super, super focused. It's beginning of season. We're trying to make sure that we have a full, foolproof plan in that prior to purchase or path to purchase so that people are aware of us. We have a very high awareness rate. But then as we get to consideration, how do we put our competitive advantage forward to really win the sale? Beautiful. What is your opinion or theory, I guess, of where you believe Omnichannel is going, especially with, I would say with like, a lot of people catering to, you know, the Amazons of the world or all these different marketplaces that tend to start popping up now. Like, how do you control all that? How do you control, you know, making sure the brand is cohesive across the board? And how do you uh, or, or where do you think this might end up going? Yeah. So I think not only do people, um, not are there multiple channels, they have to be very cohesive, but they're cross shopping those channels. So from my research, I've seen that a lot of people will go to Amazon as their source of truth to say, what are my options out there? And they build their list across, you know, based on the search parameters that Amazon brings back. Then they start looking, and this is from a durable goods perspective, because it's highly sensorial. They're going to want to go touch, feel, see the quality, understand the brand. So they will cross shop into brick and mortar. Um, like we are, we are heavily partnered with Lowe's. So they have that, that retail experience and really get um, a good feel for what Charbroil offers. Then many times what we see their journey is they go back home and they start cross shopping. They say, where can I get the best deal? Where can I get the best terms? You know, so there are a lot of things. So on average, there are six touch points between the, hey, I think I need a new grill or I need to replace a new grill all the way to purchase. So we have to make sure that at each touch point, we're addressing the barrier to purchase um, differently. So again, like you think of when you're at Lowe's and you're, you're touching the grill, like, do you want the information right in front of you? Do you want to see um, retail tainment behind you showing um, what you could be doing with this product. Those are all the things that you have to say, what's the question that I need to answer in this particular channel in order to get them to that next point or even to convert as their next step. Beautiful. Interesting. So how do you, how do you map that out? Because if you think about like, you know, someone sees something on social or someone sees a, a commercial or something, and then maybe they go to your website, then they go over to Amazon, or maybe they end up at a retail location. Like, how do you map out what that customer journey is and continue to optimize on it? Yeah, it's real. I mean, truthfully, I think you just need to make sure as you get down the funnel that your, your proposition is getting tighter, tighter. When you see people add to cart, when you, you know, you start giving them offers or you start retargeting based on where they are in the, in the purchase process. So a lot of times when they are on Amazon, it's their first step, but if they see the right product with the right offer, they'll convert right there. So you, 
I think of it more as a ping pong ball, kind of going back and forth. You just need to make sure that you're tracking their journey. Um, And we're doing a lot with data and analytics to see how we get tighter and tighter and we continue to optimize our our LTV. Um, But I think that it's just, it's sort of an art, not necessarily quite a science. Interesting. So how do you draw the line between the art and the science? Well, uh, as we're getting tighter and tighter in the consumer journey and continue to do research, um, we're continuing to experiment. So we're trying certain offers when we see them going to cart. We're trying um, certain offers when we're doing our text messaging, um, you know, platforms. So again, I think you, you... each industry is going to be different in what that conversion or that moment of conversion that will, that offer that gets you there. So we are playing with it, experimenting, reporting back our, our results and seeing which really work for us. Okay. So what's your, your theory on the connections of some of these channels? Like for example, the most obvious one I can think of is Amazon, obviously releasing that whole like buy with prime thing where, you can have that option on your site for people to kind of have the one click checkout through prime directly on a site. To me that while that is allowing the customer to have a better experience, obviously there's pros and cons of that from a more financial standpoint of, you know, fees and things like that from Amazon. Mm-hmm. But are you, are you constantly directing people at least from a marketing standpoint to your website or are you kind of letting them shop where they're ever most comfortable? Are you directing them to retail or to marketplace? Like what does that approach usually look like? Yeah. So while our messaging is all cohesive and pretty much the same, like as far as like, if you were looking at a four burner um, commercial series, you know, you're going to see a very similar description imagery because our digital shelf is pretty, um, pretty cohesive. Mm-hmm. Um, we do allow our, our sales team as well as our D2C business to run like true businesses. So if they want to, they want to compete on a different promotion, they're allowed to. So we will use our own assets to direct to our website. And those are, you know, similar to how Lowe's has owned assets. Um, so they are really like little mini businesses and are allowed to act like mini businesses um, that can build their own promotions and build their own promotion plans. Um, we allow that sort of uh, constructive competition, if you will. Interesting. So you, so when you, just to clarify, so you have, let's say like a marketplace division, you have your D2C side, you have your retail side, and you allow them to operate individually for, you know, different promotions or things that they're doing, correct? Yes. So um, they all have their, their budgets that they're going to pay big bets on. They're going to know their specific audience. They're going to tailor their audience, uh, their offers to their audience and what resonates. Then they'll deploy their tools to kind of build out their marketing campaign in 360. Um, you know, as far as our, our strategic partners, you know, we have a, an individual strategy for each of our um, major accounts. So it makes sense for our D to C to exist as a, a major account for us um, and operate, you know, as a, as a small business within a bigger business. Hmm. So is it that same approach when you do product launches? So you relaunch, you know, you launch some kind of some new grills coming out and you're obviously doing a big promotion, probably, I assume at least across the board through all the businesses, they still have their own control over which promotions they may or may not offer for it. 
Yep. And then, I mean, and so I'm talking about non-mapped products specifically, mm -hmm. um, yeah. but let's say when we are looking at how we allocate new innovations, we do make sure that we're going to target rich environments. So if we know somebody has a higher willingness to pay um, or a consumer base that has a higher willingness to pay, we try to make sure that we're segmenting out our products that will then best connect with those consumers. Again, if we have somebody more price sensitive, then we're gonna put the more price sensitive offerings in there. So we are trying to minimize our channel conflict so that there is that unique tailored offer to each of our customers. So. And I, and I go back to then we have the unique tailored offers. We have the unique tailored promotions. It's very individualized based on the target market that they're trying to focus on or the one that resonates best with their, their consumer group. Interesting. That is very interesting because I would feel that sometimes it would be beneficial for them to work together. However, I also see from just a budgetary standpoint of that being very complicated. So, how, your role, obviously, from an omni-channel approach, making sure that each of those are working together cohesively outside of any promotions or something that they would be doing, correct? Yes. And that what we've seen in the past is that if you have the same products everywhere at the same price point, it then becomes a competition to race to the bottom, right? Like I've got to yeah. offer the, the lowest price that people buy here. And that's not what we want to offer to our customers. We want to allow them to have a unique offering tailored to their particular consumer group so that then they can make the margin and the profit that they're looking for as well as have something differentiated based on who's shopping there versus everybody down the street has the same exact thing, offering the same thing every day of the week. And it's really a price differentiation. Interesting. So what is your, what is your day to day of managing all that? Cause it sounds very complicated to manage. <laughs> Well, and so we have two pretty robust product management teams that we've been building out over the the last year, year and a half. Um, and so it is talking about what are the unique needs of each of our major customers? What do they need? What's their price bands? What do, what do they what do they need to differentiate? Um, lots of times people will rely on exclusives, but if you use the right segmentation strategy for your products, you don't have to live on exclusives. Um, and when you start getting into exclusives, it goes, you know, nobody can have this name or no, and then you've got a thousand brand names right out there. So this actually gives us the ability to have the same line, but custom offerings um, to customers based on their customer consumer base. Um, we do before uh, a product launch, we spend a lot of time thinking about our distribution strategy. Uh, where are they on the innovation curves? Are they... Um, innovators? Are they late adopters? Um, is this new technology or this new product line something that is going to require a significant amount of explaining or education? And then we take that into account as we approach different retailers about the level of acceptance the market's going to have. So while it is more, it is slower for like some of our newer innovations, it is very intentional to make sure that we're getting the right adoption as it goes down the curve of, um, you know, acceptance across a, a new technology. Where do you think that most brands are messing up from an omni-channel approach? Because I feel like a lot of the brands 
at least I've spoken to have taken, they've taken, I, uh, I want to say they've taken a slightly different approach, at least from maybe slightly less of a segmentation side. Granted, I've spoken to others where it's wildly more segmented, but where do you think brands will be most successful from an omni-channel uh, approach? I think that you just have to be really intentional about intention. Um, trying to think you have to be really intentional about what you're going to be, what you're using each channel for, whether it's information gathering, whether it's um, conversion um, and then making sure that you have the right products um, with the consumers that want them. I think in the past people have peanut butter spread so much, but we have so much data and so much analytics to tell you what the willingness to spend why put something that is outside of the price range or below the price range of what people are willing to spend? So as we get tighter and tighter with our data, we should become almost surgical with how we use our channels. Um, I think that that is one of the things that I've learned as I've gotten to know our retail universe more is that, yes, there's a spectrum, but there's there's a, a pretty usual suspect that's going into that particular location. So how do we tailor the offerings to, to best fit their needs and or how do we expand there? Um, there is just a lot of, um, I, I think about other companies I've been to that we put everything everywhere and it loses its cachet or it loses um, something spe specialness about it. But when you tailor your offers and you're very thoughtful about your assortment, it becomes a win for the retailer as well as for, for the manufacturer. So it sounds like really know the tools you're using, really know the channels you're on and the audiences that, or the channels and obviously the locations that you're in, know the audiences that are using said channels or visiting said locations. And while keeping the brand cohesive across the board, personalize the experience enough to cater to those audiences that are using those channels and visiting those locations. Yes, absolutely. Do do? And even with our, <laughs> our D to C site, we're looking at more ways to personalize, whether it's configure, configuring your own grill or your accessories or how you want, um, you know, different features. So it is very much about that personalized experience and making sure that you can then deliver through the channel that people want to be delivered through. Beautiful. Love it. Amanda, thank you so much for being on the show. Obviously, everyone who tuned in, thank you as well. Uh, per usual, make sure you rate, review, subscribe, all that fun stuff, or head over to theecomshow.com and check out any of our past episodes. But as normal, we will see you all next time. And thanks for joining us. Have a good one. Thank you for tuning in to the Ecom Show. Head over to ecomshow.com to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or on the Blue Tusker YouTube channel. The Ecom Show is brought to you by Blue Tusker a full-service digital marketing company specifically for e-commerce sellers looking to accelerate their growth. Go to bluetusker.com now for more information. Make sure to tune in next week for another amazing episode of The Ecom Show.